Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today we're looking at week three of our series, What's Love Got to Do With It? Very quickly, I want to review the first two weeks. The first week I told you that God's Word tells us what love is. 1 John 4 and 8 tells us that God is love. Would you say those three words with me? God is love. And then 1 Corinthians 13 and 8 tells us that love never fails. Would you say those words? Love never fails. Love never fails because God never fails and God is love. And I told you that first week, you've got to learn to love your spouse with God's love for your spouse because that love never runs out. Even when your love runs out, God's love for your spouse never runs out. Last week, I told you that you and your spouse are a strong force when you operate in unity. And Satan knows that there's power in unity, and that's why he seeks to divide your home. That's why he seeks to divide your marriage. And when it comes to your marriage, I told you, never agree to disagree. The enemy wants you to agree to disagree. That's a divided home. A house divided against itself will not stand. So rather than agree to disagree, I encouraged you, agree to agree. And what this does is it it causes us to have some of the most difficult conversations. It's where your real heart has to be put out there. And we're we're so reluctant, even with our spouses sometimes, to really put it out there. But we've got to become vulnerable and we've got to have those uncomfortable conversations because when you do that, you can find unity. You can agree to agree. And this is going to create power in your home. Because this week we are going to transition this series into parenting, I want to take just a few moments before we do that transition because I want to to talk with you about a few last thoughts that I have on marriage. One of the most interesting statements to me when couples separate is, is a statement like this. He is a good dad, but he was a bad husband. Or she's a good mom, but she's a horrible wife. Or maybe it is even one of those self-observations that says, I'm a good parent, I'm just not a good spouse. And this statement in itself is so contradictory. Part of the role of a parent is to teach your children how to be a good spouse. It's part of your job. It's part of, uh, uh, of the assignment that you have is that God expects you to teach your child how to be a good spouse. And so God is using you to teach them to be faithful. He's, he's using you to teach them how to be patient, how to be forgiving, how to operate in God's mercy and how to operate in, in God's grace. And you are called as a parent to lead them by example. You are to exemplify what a faithful spouse looks like, what a gracious spouse looks like. Understand this. Children are a temporary assignment. Marriage is a lifelong assignment till death do us part. And as hard as it is for some of you to to come to grips with, you have to understand that you're not called to, to be a parent in the sense that you're a parent right now. For some of you that still have children at home, this is for a season of your life. You are not going. You'll still be the parent, but it, it, you, you are not going to be guiding and directing them for the rest of their lives. Not, not 
in the capacity that you are right now. And so children are this temporary assignment, but we have to look at marriage as a lifelong assignment until death do us part. And, and with this statement alone that I'm about to make, I'm about to lose half of you. I, I know that. Um, it, it happens every year here, and so I hope you come back. Um, because this statement is good, and it's right. And until you get this right, it should haunt you. And until you get this right, you're going to continue to go through pain and hardship in your home. But the divine order of your home should be God, spouse, children, extended family. No. The divine order of your house should be God, spouse, children, extended family. The divine order of your house should be God, spouse, children, extended family. You're not there yet. You don't have it. Say it with me because I think this will help you. The divine order of your house should be God, spouse, children, extended family. And until you get that divine order right, there's always going to be problems in your household. Because it must be in that order. If extended family, if they move up that list of priorities, even ahead of your children and ahead of your spouse, the divine order is wrong and you're always going to have problems in your household. If your children, if they move up that list of priorities ahead of your spouse, the divine order is wrong and, and you're going to continue to have problems in your households. And I can't tell you. God only knows how many households get this right. Some of you, you're even thinking to yourself, oh, that's not a problem for us. But yet, your spouse is feeling neglected because you have put your children ahead of your spouse in that divine order, and you're messing things up, and you're causing more damage than you can ever imagine. And too many homes have consistently made this error. Overprotective mommies, listen to me. Uh, heavily involved dads, listen to me. We can joke about this, we can play it off, and, and we do. But you've only got a limited number of days left with that child being under your roof. And if you don't start to get this right now, you are going to mess them up for their marriage, and you're going to continue to mess up their children and their marriage. You have an opportunity right now to set the right example and to get the priorities correct and the divine order of the household right and when you do, you're going to see some amazing changes in your household. So, parents, let me ask you something. What kind of marital example are you setting for them? If you are putting that child and his or her needs ahead of your spouse, then you are wrong. The anointing that is exemplified in the Old Testament it flowed from the top down. When they would anoint a king over a nation, they, they would saturate that king's head. And that, that, that oil, that anointing oil, would flow down that head. And it would drip from his beard onto his shoulders and down onto the rest of his body. Because the anointing is gravitational and it always flows from the head down. That means, men, you better man up and you better get some things right. 
Because as long as you keep getting it wrong, you're messing up the anointing of your household because it's always gravitational. And it starts with the head and it begins to work its way down. And it works from, from God to the spouse to the children and always in that order. And, and you can't give up a, a higher priority without it affecting something below it. That means if, if you don't have it right with your spouse and you don't have them in the right divine order, you are messing up your kids. And, and you can even take your career, you can take your job and you can move it up ahead of your kids or ahead of your spouse and sometimes even ahead of your God. And when you get that wrong, everything below it is affected by that. So if you neglect your spouse and, and, and the respect that they need and that God expects you to give them, you are affecting your kids. Mom, dad, listen to me. Get this right now because it's going to be too late before you know it. So let's transition to the children. Church, we've got to be careful when we talk about the next generation. Because what I've noticed is that every generation, we, we point our fingers at the next generation and we just think they're a bunch of morons. Perfect example, Tide Pods. <laughs> Are they not morons? I mean, is, this is just idiotic. Why? But every generation's had to deal with such things. I mean, at, at some point in time, someone said there were magic mushrooms, and a generation had to deal with that. And the generation older than them said, you're idiots. Why are you doing that? And, and there's always been other synthetic drugs and things that, that, that every generation has to deal with. And, and so before we just start pointing the fingers at them, and, and trust me, Tide Pods, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I think it's extremely dangerous. And I'm looking at this going, you bunch of morons. But then I have to step back and look and say, we're raising that generation. You point the finger all you want to, but, but realize that's the generation that we are raising. And some of you are like, well, no, you're raising that generation. I'm a little bit older than you, pastor. Well, they're your grandkids and you raised us. <laughs> and what does that say? And, it, and, it, and I think it just reflects on the breakdown of the home and how it has affected the generations for years and years and years. And we've got to get back to the basics of Christianity and we've got to start teaching that to our children and to our homes. I started in full-time ministry preparing sermons every week in August of 1997. In August of 1997 I was hired as a full-time youth pastor in Live Oak and just a couple of months later in October of 1997 our twins were born. Caleb and Kendall were born and that's all that they know is being raised in a pastor's home and I can relate to that because that's all that I ever knew. My oldest brother was in, in our early service this morning, and, and I, could, I could see him looking at me. He remembers life before our dad was a pastor. Um, dad actually got saved and was called to ministry, and my brother remembers that. I don't remember that. I was born and raised in a pastor's home. That's all that I know. That's all that my kids know. They were born and raised in a home of ministry, and therefore, they have been the subject of many sermon illustrations, and you have laughed at many of the stories that are true stories about their lives and things that we've gone through. And before you feel sorry for them, and, and even probably today or even, even next week, I, I may use my kids a little bit in, in, as a sermon illustration, but before you feel sorry for them, understand that we as a family, we count it a joy for our lives to be on display. We do. It's an honor for us. Living in a glass house is not a burden for us. It is a true 
honor in the DCC employee handbook that all employees of Destiny Community Church must sign. There is a clause that reads like this. It says, don't despise living in a glass house. It is not only a responsibility, but it is also a great privilege. We get to model to the world. We get to. We get to model to the world what a healthy Christian family should look like. And, and, and I don't claim that my family is perfect. Please understand that. Uh, we've got our fair share of problems, and I've been very honest throughout this series. I've shared with you some of our problems that we deal with, and, and trust me, there's, there's a boatload more. And, and, but my family is not perfect. But living life on display, it certainly pushes us to become more like Christ. And I want to challenge you. Parents in the room, even children in the room, those middle school and high school kids that are in here, listen to me. Don't be ashamed to live your life in a glass house. We, we live in a subdivision nearby. I'm not going to tell you where because I don't know all of you, and some of you know where we live. But we, we live nearby, and the back of our house is, is a big sliding glass door that just you know retreats back into the wall and we have yet we've been living there a year we have yet to put blinds or or anything to cover those windows so if you ride by and and you can you can ride by and look in through the back of our house you can see whatever's on our tv you can you can see somebody one one time they actually texted me and said i i see you reclined back watching tv and i just responded creepy We have nothing to hide. What you see is what you get with us. And if anything, it pushes us to model Christ more than ever before. And so we as a family, we have never had a problem living in a glass house for the world to see our lives and our lives on display for the cause of Christ. Parents, you should not be ashamed of that either. either. And you should put your lives on display because your life, your, your family can be a testimony that can lead people to Christ, but you've got to be willing to live out that testimony. Never be ashamed to live in a glass house for the kingdom of God. Don't have a church life and a home life. Don't have a Christian life and my private life. Just live a Christ-like life. And that means there's going to be moments when, when you get a little angry and you flip over the, the tables in the temple. Don't do it here, but, but maybe in the, in the temple of your house. You might get a little angry sometimes. And, and, and then there's other moments where you extend grace and mercy as Christ did. But we just have to model Christ. That's what we have to do. And when we do that, then there's nothing to be ashamed of and there's nothing to be afraid of. We just get to model Christ. Not, not perfection. We're not there yet, but man, every day I'm becoming more like Christ. Amen? I want you to turn with me to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. I'm going to be reading verses 13 through 16. And before I read this, I want to kind of um, reiterate to you that the Bible, most of the Bible was written in a masculine format because men were the only educated ones that could read. And, and so, therefore, most of the scriptures are written in a masculine format, but there's plenty of scriptures that we could absolutely take he or she and, and apply that to all genders. And as Christians being grafted in and adopted into the body of Christ, we certainly have to look at scriptures and allow them to speak into our lives. And so understand that there, 
There's some strong language that we're going to read here, and it's, it seems like it's aimed at men, and it is. But I'm sure if we were to ask God, he would say, oh, this applies to the women also. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. Here is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping, and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. I want to focus on verse 15, specifically the middle of verse 15. Where he says, and what does he want? He wants godly children from your union. What does God want? He wants godly children from your marriage. And he puts that responsibility, that awesome responsibility, on us as parents. Raising our kids was never a burden for us. Mandy and I have enjoyed every second of of raising our kids. And now that they're 20 years old... Sure, life is changing for us. I had one of those moments Friday where it, it just kind of hit me. And, and it was a, a private but yet a, kind of an emotional moment for me when that app, the Find Friends app that I talked about last Sunday, when I pulled it up on my phone and I realized that one of my children, she was in Cleveland, Tennessee on one side of the state. And my other child, he was in Nashville, Tennessee on the other side of the state. And they were both pursuing their dreams. Kendall's attending Lee University and, and studying and, and hope, hopes to one day be in ministry herself. And she was working at a young adult conference where about 700 young adults had convened and she was, she was wor- working at that conference. And, and then my son was in Nashville with Gator basketball and he's a student manager and he's pursuing his dream and, and you know, living it up. He got home last night late and he told me, he said, Dad, they fed us a lot. I just sat there and I just looked at, at the Find Friends app. I just looked at it and I thought, man, what a great feeling it is. And, I, and I'm not worried about their lifestyle. I know that Kendall is living a life that is honoring God. I know that Caleb is living a life and being an example. And, and it, just, it just blesses me and I know Mandy feels the same way that we feel like, man, if out of everything that we got wrong in life, we feel like that's something that we did right. And my kids are not perfect. Please understand that. My kids are not perfect. But we have truly enjoyed raising them. And just because they're 20 years old does not mean that we have stopped raising them. We still offer advice. We still look at them from time to time and say, if you don't do this, there's consequences. 
Listen to me, parents. One of the worst conversations that you ever had or one of the worst conversations that you will ever have is if you were to tell your child when you turn 18 years old, you can decide for yourself. But until then, you have to listen to me. No, no. Mandy and I told our kids from the very beginning, age does not matter. As long as you are living under our roof and as long as you are eating out of our refrigerator, our rules still apply. I know some of you don't agree with that. I know some of you, you, you look at life like that and you think, you, you can't do that. Now, no, I can. And if they don't like it, then there's a door. And I, you know what? I'll even give them the suitcases if that's the case. But you, you're going to live under my roof if that's the case. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And if you choose to do something else, then you're going to have to go out and live on your own after 18. Thankfully, we never had to have any of those conversations where I looked at them and said, you know what, you're not living the life I want you to. I want you to, to, to leave. I want you to get out. But we started at a young age putting these principles that I'm talking to you about. We started telling them this is the way of life. This is the way that, that leads to Christ Jesus. This is the way that we want you to go and that God expects you to go. And our responsibility as parents is to raise godly children because that's what he wants out of your marriage. It's hard to raise godly children, though, if you're not godly yourself. Parents, this, if you think this is hard right now, it's going to get worse in just a few minutes, okay? It's hard for you to raise godly children if you're not living a godly life. Because then it just becomes hypocritical. And kids are never going to buy into it. They're smarter than you think they are. And they're never going to buy into your faith if you are being hypocritical about it. And so it starts with you, parents. Are you living a godly life that sets that example for them to follow? And then we read this verse, Proverbs 22 and 6, that says, Train up a child in the way he should go or she should go. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. The first priority of a parent is to train. And this is where so many parents check out. The first priority of a parent is to train. And, and the reason why so many parents check out is that this process, it requires diligence. Training is not easy. Parenting is not easy, but it is rewarding. And it's even part of God's plan. He said, be fruitful and multiply. So he wants you to have children, and then he wants you to train them. And that requires you being consistent with your effort in order for you to train your child. But if you're not consistent, you're never going to train them. Because training requires repetition. It means you have to do the same thing every day over and over and over and over and over and over. The Winter Olympics are on right now. Winter Olympics, Summer Olympics, it doesn't matter. If you want to be an Olympic athlete, 
then you are going to have to train to become an Olympic athlete. You're going to have to do the same thing every day, even when you're tired of doing it, even when you don't want to do it, even when there's other things you would rather be doing. You are going to have to train every day doing the same thing. And, and, and muscle memory comes from that for an athlete because they keep doing the same thing day in, day out, and soon they don't even have to think about it anymore. The same thing happens with training our kids. If we are consistent with it as parents, and it's not easy. It is not easy to be consistent, especially in this day and age. But if you are consistent in training with your children, and you put forth that effort, and you don't bail out, you are going to see your kids start living out the life that you're longing for them to live out. But training requires repetition. I'm not going to take a lot of time. I've told stories about our, our dog Joe before, but, but just to, to kind of give you an example of this, when Mandy and I first got married in our, our chocolate lab that we had, I had this desire to train Joe to pray before he would eat. And so I, I took it upon myself to start training Joe. So every day it required me to do the same thing. I would go to his bowl and I would pour his dog food in and then, and, and he's, he's trying to get it. And, and I would raise my hand up like this, like I was going to hit him. And if, if you're a dog lover, get over it. And I'd raise my hand up like this, like, like I was, and I'd say, no, get back. And he would back up and, and I'd pour the food in his bowl and I'd say, dear Lord, bless Joe's food. <laughs> he'd look at me strange, dear Lord, bless Joe's food. Amen. And he'd start eating. And every day I'd repeat that. After about two months of me Praying the prayer, dear Lord, bless Joe's food. Amen. I noticed that I could now start praying like this. Dear Lord, and he'd sit down. Bless Joe's food. Amen. And he'd walk up and start eating. One day we were out of town. We were on vacation and Mandy's grandfather went. And um, he, he went over to our house to feed Joe. And, and he poured the food in the bowl. And he, he walked outside the gate. And Joe's just sitting there whimpering. He wants to eat so bad. And her grandfather forgot to pray. And so, so he finally prayed and, and Joe started eating. Well, when Mandy had cancer and she was going through all the treatments of cancer, I decided with her being at home alone and Joe was an outside dog, I decided I was going to get, uh, or get Mandy rather uh, uh, a little dog. So I got her a little pug. We named it Simba. So we got this little pug, cute little dog. And so over the next couple of months, we start trying to train Simba. Well, apparently, it's easier to teach a dog to pray than it is to potty train a dog. Because <laughs> I could not teach this dog to be potty trained. And this was an indoor dog, a little pug. And, and um, I'll never forget the day that we found out that Mandy was pregnant with twins. We had a family meeting we did not invite Joe. It was just the two of us. Joe had no vote in this, and we looked at each other, and we agreed there is no possible way that we can have twins and train twins while we're still trying to train this dog to be potty trained. And so we got rid of Simba. We got rid of the pug. We didn't kill the dog. Y'all relax. We gave the dog away, okay? We gave that dog away. I have no idea where that dog is at, or it's probably not alive anymore, but all the dog lovers hate me right now, but it's okay. We bailed out on that little dog. We did. 
That was too much for us. We bailed out on that little dog and had no desire to train that dog. How many parents do the same thing with their kids? Oh, they still sleep under the same roof. But you've just given up on training those children because maybe it's a strong-willed child. Maybe you just cannot get through to that child. And so you've checked out and you've said, no, I'm just not going to worry with it anymore. And it is your responsibility as a parent to keep on because it takes repetition. Training requires repetition. It means doing the same thing every day. And and, and if you're going to see any results, eventually you have to be consistent with it. We're all training our kids, but what are we training them right now? What are they learning from you? Are they learning to gossip? Are they learning to overindulge in strong drink? Are they, are they learning to lose their temper? What are they learning from you? Because I assure you, <clears throat> they're learning something from you. You're training them, whether you mean to or not, you are training your children. And, and I'm going to go ahead and, and just go into this and and some of you you won't be back for six months because i know the routine i know how it works with you but have we made sports a priority over god it's easy to fall into that trap because we've got these these great dreams of what they can become Not only that, we love celebrating our kids. Man, if they have any athletic ability at all, we love celebrating with them. We want to see them succeed. And and some parents will will spend three days a week training a child how to hit a baseball. I don't have a problem with extracurricular sports. Understand that. We have went to our fair share of, of, of soccer matches and basketball games through the years. Trust me. But you'll spend three days a week trying to teach your child how to hit a baseball or training them to shoot a basketball or teaching them to throw a football or catch a football or or teaching them to, to set a volleyball. Now, the way school athletics have, have increased the pressure on us, now we pay people to teach them how to play catch with a baseball. Where it used to be a father and son getting out in the backyard and actually playing catch together. Now we've got to send them to baseball academies and and we've got to put them in AAU sports and, and travel ball and everything else. And society, we have allowed society to dictate how we how much we train our kids. And if they're lucky, if they're lucky, they might get two Sundays a month at church. Now you tell me where the priority is at. What's more important, sports or God? Newsflash, parents, that amateur athlete's career is coming to an end. Most of them do. And if you have made the priority in their life, if you've made that sport that priority in their life, when that sport ends, don't expect them to turn to God. And don't blame them when they don't because you as a parent, you failed to train them. You're training them. But what are you training them? And if you did not train them to love God, don't blame them. Your second priority as a parent is to aim. Train and then aim. And there's a difference between the two, and I'll show you what I mean. For, you know, when your husband was a little, little lad, his mama spent some time potty training him. To where one day, 
He would walk into the restroom when his bladder was full and he could relieve himself and it was potty training. Maybe you've even done that with your, your little boy. Maybe you have potty trained your son. But that man is 35 years old now. And he is trained to go to the bathroom when it's time to go to the bathroom, but yet he can't ring that toilet to save his life. <laughs> Nobody ever taught him how to aim. There's a difference between training and aiming. And you as a parent, you have to be willing to not only train your child, but you have to look at where they are going in life and aim them. Train up a child in the way he or she should go. There is a direction that they need to be heading in, but, but we settle for near misses. No, there's a target. For, for my kids, Mandy and I, we knew there was a specific target. I know what I want for their life, and I'm willing to point them in that direction. Train up a child in the way they should go, and don't you settle for, for a, a few degrees off this way and a few degrees off that way, because there is a specific direction that God wants for their life, and your job, parent, is to aim them. Psalm 127 and 4 says, Like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior are the children of one's youth. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And your job, parent, is to aim that arrow towards the target. But what we've got, we've got parents that are just letting the arrows fly off in any different direction that they please. When your job is to make sure that they're going towards that target. Because arrows are meant to be aimed. And when they're not aimed properly, chaos ensues. There's this, this movie that every time it's on TV, I have to stop and watch this movie. I don't care what part it's on, I have to watch it because it's, it's hilarious to me. It's a movie called Grown Ups. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie or not. But in Grown Ups, there's this one scene where, where these five guys are sitting on the dock, and it's, it's about their life and, and their lives and now them as adults, and they're sitting on the dock. And they're reminiscing, and one of them says, oh, you know, y'all remember when we used to play arrow roulette? And so they're all like, yeah, one guy's like, that was a stupid game. Well, they end up going into this field surrounded by trees, and they're, they're standing in a circle. The dog's in the middle. And Adam Sandler's character takes the arrow, and he pulls it back, and he shoots it straight up in the middle of all those trees for it to come right back down, because gravity is going to turn that arrow and pull it right back down. And the one that stays standing there in the circle the longest, these are grown men, and they're standing there in the circle, the one that stays there the longest is the winner. He wins. It's just a pride thing. If I stand here long enough, I win. So Adam Sandler pulls the arrow back, he fires it up, and they lose it in the sunlight. They lose the arrow in the sunlight, and they all start dispersing. They're scattering. One, one guy's running, and I think it's Kevin James, and as he's running, he, he pulls a, a hamstring. And there's nothing better than watching a, a big man pull a hamstring in slow motion. Okay, and so he pulls a hamstring. Another guy, uh, David Spade, I think he's he's running and and he trips and and his face lands in a big pile of manure. And another guy, he he sees the dog, and so he comes running after the dog and scoops the dog up so the arrow doesn't come back down and hit the dog. For all you dog lovers out there, he saves the dog and and he's running and he trips. Or I'm sorry, no, he doesn't trip. He actually steps on the back. Of, of David Spade as he's running and pushes his face back into the manure, okay? 
they're all just in this panic. It is chaos. And then all of a sudden, spoiler alert, okay? All of a sudden, there's one man left standing there, Rob Snyder. And he's standing there and he's like, I'm the winner! And that arrow comes right back down and lands right in his foot. <laughs> Did you really win? Did you? The metaphor here is tremendous. Not only does a misguided arrow cause problems, but grown men with no direction do too. Your children are growing up one day. They're on their way. They're being trained whether you like it or not. They're being aimed at something. And if they don't have the direction that God has for them, they're going to cause you some heartache and some chaos also. Aim your child in the way they should go, not the way that they want to go. Listen, if your child has ever looked at you and said, I don't want to go to church, and you didn't make them go to church, there's something wrong with you as a Christian parent. That is the very foundation of our belief system. We, as, as, as Christian parents, the, this is our guideline. There, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. This is what we live our lives by. This is the setting in which we dig deep into God's Word. I'd love it. I'd love it if they were getting so much at home that, that you didn't need this. But even at that, the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. There's a purpose for us coming to church together. And trust me, your children don't know what's best for them. And if they look at you and say, I don't want to go to church, you tell them, well, as long as you live under my roof, you're going to go to church. And it doesn't matter if you're 20 years old, 25 years old. If they're 30 years old still living at home, we got other problems that we need to talk about, okay? But it doesn't matter. As long as you're living under my roof, you're going to go to church. Listen, I was raised in a, in a very hyper-Pentecostal atmosphere. And, and when my dad, as the pastor, had an evangelist in for revival... It would start out usually like Sunday through Wednesday, and if it was going good, I see some other pastor's kids in here, they know what I'm talking about. If, if that revival was going good, then they would extend it through Friday. And then if the evangelist didn't have anything booked for the next week, it would start over on Sunday and we would go through the next week. And if God was really moving in that church, man, I remember we had three, four, and five week revivals before. And as a little kid, it didn't matter about bedtimes. Oh, some of you have a hard time getting your kids here on Wednesday night because you're worried about a bedtime. I think I turned out okay and I spent more time in church than I did at home. I remember, listen, this is so cliche, but I remember this. I remember actually being laid down under the church pew. My mom was the pastor's wife laid me under the church pew and you've heard about these pentecostal women shaking or shouting their bobby pins out of their hair i've watched them land on the floor as i'm trying to go to sleep in church <laughs> so it's not going to hurt your kid to be made to go to church parents they do not know what's best for them, but yet you are letting them control the, 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 the spiritual temperature of your home, and that is not their choice. That is not what God has designed for them. They're not mature enough to know what is right and what is wrong for their lives. I've, I've said it before, and I've said it many times, but if Mandy and I, if we ever failed in one area of parenting, we failed in making our kids eat. We did. Man, we got so many things right. But man, I, I look at some of you and, and you've got your kids, little kids, eating broccoli. I looked at Caleb one time and I was like, you see that four-year-old right there eating broccoli? He's more of a man than you are. 
truth be told, I didn't eat broccoli until I was 25 years old. I'm truly reaping what I have sown. I know that. I know that. I know that. We did not force Caleb and Kendall to eat, and it prepared Kendall for college because that girl can live off noodles. And anybody in college knows ramen noodles. That's that's where it's at. She's prepared. She can live off that. So it is. It. I mean, she just has you know noodles all the time. It's fettuccine. She she knows how to make fettuccine. She knows how to make spaghetti. She knows how to make ramen noodles, and she knows how to make macaroni and cheese. And that's pretty much her diet for college. <laughs> I told you we failed. It's bad. But the one area we did not skimp on was their spiritual diet. Some of you, you're so great at making sure your kids are physically healthy. You, you, you make sure that they eat the things that are going to bring nourishment to their bodies, but yet you're failing at their spiritual nourishment. It's not as important. It's more important. The spiritual nourishment for your child is more important than the physical nourishment of your child. We often force-fed our kids. Spiritually speaking, we force-fed them. And it's put a hunger and a desire in their hearts to serve in the kingdom of God. Your children need to be receiving spiritual nourishment on a weekly basis. You can't bring them to church once or twice a month and expect them to crave God's word. You know that's what you're supposed to do as a parent, right? You've got to put a hunger and a thirst inside of them for God's word. Psalm 34 and 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. How can they taste and see if you're not bringing them to, to partake of God's word? God's word needs to be a part of their regular diet. And how can they taste and see, parents, if you don't bring them to Destiny Kids, if you don't bring them to Axis? How can they taste and see? And it's your job as parents to teach your child to hunger and thirst after God. And if you don't, they will acquire a taste for the world. And the world is more than happy to oblige. The world's got so much that is capturing their minds and their attention. The world is force-feeding your kids. Don't you think it's time that you start force-feeding them spiritually? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says, Like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, you teach, you train your children to think. You want them to be intellectual. That is a goal of a parent. You want them to be able to think for themselves. Then when they start thinking for themselves, it drives you crazy, right? But you want them to think for themselves. But when they start thinking for themselves, train them to think by pointing them in the right direction. Because if you don't do that, just teaching them or training them to think without aiming them is irresponsible as a parent. Aim your kids towards the cross of Christ. Aim them towards the love of God. Because the world is full of artificial intelligence, things that, that, that appear to be real, but they're not. Things like 
there is no God. They will preach that to your children until they start to believe it. You better put the foundation of God's word in them or they will buy into that. There are no absolutes. Or how about this one, man? This is hitting headlines right now. Oh, it's okay for you to pray to Jesus, but at the moment, or for you to talk to Jesus, but at the moment Jesus starts talking back to you, then you're mentally insane. They're teaching that. They're force-feeding your kids. Parents, you need to wake up, and you need to start making sure that your kids are being spiritually fed. If you train and aim your child towards God now, they will refrain from not trusting Him later. In closing, I want to be, I want to be very careful because um, it's easy during a time like this in our nation to exploit something like the school shootings from this past week. And I want to be very careful not to work on your emotions through that because it is a very emotional time. School shootings are not. The truth is this, is that it is, a, it is appointed unto man once to die. That means all of us, at some point, we will face eternity. Me, my wife, my kids. Do you know how hard it is to wrap your mind around that? That my kids will one day face death and eternity beyond that. You know what's more tragic than death? Dying and not knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Parents, if you don't do it for any other reason, train and aim your children because they are staring eternity in the face. And there's coming a day when they will have to stand before God. And it doesn't matter how great of a baseball player they are, basketball, volleyball, marching band. You can enroll them in all of the extracurricular activities that your money can possibly afford. And you know what? Some of that stuff is good. They need it. Don't overdo it because they, they need some breaks in their schedules. But some of that is good for them. It does build teamwork. It does build character. But you do understand that when they stand before God, the foundation of God's word and the understanding of his love is what they have to have. When will we as Christian parents understand the importance of training and aiming our kids back to God. Parents, it can't be hit or miss. Christianity is a lifestyle. And if your children don't see it as a lifestyle then they're not going to put any value in that when they are old the promise is train up your child in the way they should go and when they are old they will not depart from it
Oh, I know that I hit a little wild streak in my, my teenage years. Man, I'm so glad that my mom and dad put that foundation in me because I came right back to it. When I was old, I would not depart from it. Parents, that's your job. And it comes with a promise from God. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.